Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. We're continuing our series on sustainability. And we have Anna Britton, Executive Director of Napa Green and the guest of episode 115, The Economics of Sustainability. She always asked, What is the definition of sustainability? And so, She came up with six pillars, which are now seven strands, the third of which we're going to focus on today, which is waste prevention and green purchasing. So Anna, can you give us a brief overview of why this is one of the strands of sustainability? This might be one of the ones that people think about the most. First, there's that kind of most basic area of sustainability, which is recycling and composting, right? We want to be recycling and composting as much as we can. And we definitely know there's a lot more opportunity here. So just one very relevant wine industry example is glass. Glass is infinitely recyclable. But on average right now, only 30% of glass gets recycled. That's an incredible waste. And we actually need more glass in the wine industry to keep making those glass bottles for the wine. So there's that piece, there's that recycling, composting, I think we're all pretty aware of. Then there's our purchasing power. And I think people connect that a little bit less with the waste conversation, but we all have purchasing power. And actually in the wine industry, anywhere from 30 to 50% of emissions on average for a winery are from packaging and distribution. So we're starting to think more about things like lightening glass weight, not using wood boxes, just lightening the weight of what we're shipping wine in. And that reduces shipments and that reduces costs and that reduces emissions. This is all interconnected. This is why waste and purchasing are really core areas to consider. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are continuing our series on sustainability. And today, we are talking with Katie Jackson, the SVP of Corporate Social Responsibility at Jackson Family Wines. We're going to be talking about waste prevention. Obviously, Jackson Family Wines has a number of things. They've rooted for good roadmap to 2030 that has a comprehensive action plan. We talked with someone from Jackson Family Wines about the IWCA partnership with Torres in episode 72. I was hoping with all these different initiatives that you're in charge of, if we could really dive into waste prevention over this interview. But before we do that, why don't you give me and Peter a brief overview of your background and how you ended up in your position at Jackson Family Wines? I'm a member of the Jackson Family second generation. And so I think growing up, I always expected to end up at the company in some way, but I wasn't sure exactly where. And so growing up, I just had a really strong affinity for the outdoors and nature and the environment was something that concerned me from a young age. I remember learning about environmentalism as a six-year-old and feeling like it was something that was really important. When I started working for the business, I was an intern and I worked several harvests and that was fun. And I got to kind of grow up in the winery from like the ground up and kind of learn what winemaking was all about. But I knew that wasn't going to be my area of expertise or passion. And so I ended up working in a couple of different departments on social media for a little while and then in marketing. And then I was learning about what the company was doing with sustainability. And the company had started its sustainability program in 2008, which was very close to when I had first started out. And so I started meeting with the team and learning more about the projects that they were working on, as well as the 
projects that our government affairs team was working on for some conservation work with regulatory agencies. And so really fell in love with that part of the business and then ended up working with the team starting in 2011. And it's been an area of the business that I feel like has been very fulfilling and rewarding and also exciting because it's been something that was very new when I joined and it requires a lot of innovation. It's just really interesting to come to work and think about how we can do things differently and better every day. So just to set a little context, for those who aren't familiar with Jackson Family Wines, which is much bigger than its flagship Kendall Jackson brand, could you give us a sense of the size and scope of the business? Sure. So Jackson Family Wines was founded by my father, Jess Jackson, in 1982. That was when he started Kendall Jackson. That was his first winery and brand. And that quickly became a pretty large brand. My dad had really invested in some very high quality vineyards up and down the coast of California to support the brand proposition for Kendall Jackson, which was delivering high quality for an affordable price point and over delivering on that quality. He and my mom and the rest of my family who was involved realized quickly that they had some amazing vineyards that could support some estate wineries that would have spectacular wines. And so they founded Cambria Winery first in 1986. And that was down in the Central Coast and then Stone Street in Sonoma County in 1989. And from there, Jackson Family Wines has grown into an international company now with over 40 different wineries. We have mostly wineries and brands in California, but also we have three wineries up in Oregon, as well as a winery in Chile, a winery in South Africa, a winery in France, a winery in Italy, and two wineries in Australia. Jackson Family Wines is at the forefront of taking action on sustainability in almost every element. Though we want to focus the discussion on waste prevention and green purchasing, could you give us a sense of how broad the sustainability push is at Jackson Family Wines? The scope of our sustainability department and initiatives has been pretty broad. Intentionally, we really wanted to look at our overall footprints of our entire company. So that was everything from the farming through the wineries to actually getting the wine out to consumers. We focused recently on four key areas that are priority areas, and those are social impact, carbon, and specifically taking action against climate change, farming and regenerative farming in particular. And then lastly, we're looking at water, water conservation and water management. Those have been kind of our key pillars moving into the future, but we had established a very comprehensive plan starting in 2015 that we shared publicly. And we had actually 11 different goal areas in that plan and made progress against some other areas as well, including zero waste, as well as helping our growers become certified sustainable, helping establish a volunteer program and encouraging our employees to volunteer in the community every year, and then working on conservation and restoration projects in partnership with public agencies or other landowners. Just curious, since you've been at it for eight years from the 2015 plan to 2030, is the end goal, are you on track, ahead of schedule? How's it going? That's a great question. We're trending on track in most, I feel like we're ahead of where we want to be on social impact. We've made such great progress there. And part of that is because we've incorporated our 
diversity, equity, and inclusion work into that goal area. And we have an internal team called the Idea Alliance that is diverse in background and in their departments that they come from, in their roles for Jackson Family Wines. And they've been bringing some great ideas to the executive team and leadership about how to become more diverse and inclusive. So I feel like that team has been doing an incredible job and we're ahead of plan. Our most ambitious and difficult goal to achieve will be to get to climate positive by 2050. On that goal, we have been on track until just recently. Actually, we just talked as a team this morning because we fell a little bit behind in our last analysis. So we're just regrouping and coming up with our levers that we need to pull to get back on track for that. But we always knew that was going to be a really thorny and difficult area. So we're not discouraged. We're just going to try to continue to be innovative and make sure that we're reducing our emissions every year. And that emission amount that we need to actually meet year on year to get to 50% reduction by 2030 and then climate positive by 2050 is 3%. So there are definitely levers we can pull to get back on track within the next year. That goal in particular is going to require constant innovation and evaluation of our entire business because everything that we do as a business has an emissions footprint and we just really need to kind of change the way we do things to meet that goal. So in general, I'd say on water, regenerative farming and climate and social impact, I think we're doing really well considering that we're only a couple of years into our 10-year goals. In addition to the Rooted for Good, we did meet with someone from Jackson Family Wines and Torres when we were talking about the IWCA, the International Wineries for Climate Action, how Jackson Family is taking a leadership. And at the time, we talked about one of the big things was really a change in the packaging that is a big move for Jackson Family Wines. I'm curious if you have any updates on how is that IWCA initiative going or what are the big pushes in the next year or two for Jackson Family Wines? For packaging in particular, that's a really interesting one. We've done a lot of bottle lightweighting already, but we've been having meetings over the last six months with the marketing team and my family and executive leadership to identify other ways where we can continue to lightweight because that is one area that if you're able to reduce the amount of glass that you're using per bottle, you're going to reduce your emissions associated with the glass production. You're going to reduce the emissions associated with trucking because you'll have lighter bottles going out into the market. You also reduce your spend. In the past five years, we've been able to save about $1 million a year just based on the lightweighting efforts we put in place about five years ago. That's exciting. I think that as we're moving forward, bottle lightweighting is going to continue to be an area where we can see some savings and emissions and also have some good financial benefits associated with it. And I think that that is also an area where IWCA can really take a leadership role in convening conversations about how the industry as a whole can reduce our emissions associated with glass and how we can communicate to the consumer that lighter glass bottles don't equal lesser quality wine, which I think is the biggest concern that a lot of wineries have. I'm curious, the $1 million that you'd mentioned, is that savings just on because you're buying less glass and glass is the commodity or is it related to the freight and shipping of the glass or is it a combination of the two? It's solely based upon the reduction in glass that we need to purchase for those bottles. But I think to your question about transportation, the amount that we're saving there is about 500000 a year. That is significant too. So a lot of the sustainability work requires some level of investment. Could you give us a sense of the size and scope of Jackson Family Wine's overall investments in sustainability in terms of 
dollars or the people on it? Like how big is your team? Things like that. Sure. We just actually looked holistically at how much we'd invested since 2015. And our biggest spend has been in like renewable energy. That's putting in new solar. And actually, we're just installing a very large wind turbine at one of our facilities as well. The total amount that we've put in is about 18 and a half million since 2015. But we also calculated the savings associated with our initiatives, the grant funding that we've received for implementing some of our projects and some other financial benefits. That's about 19 and a half million. We've actually been able to realize more financial benefits from these initiatives than we've had to invest. I'd say that that's just an added benefit because to us, the real benefit to doing these things is making ourselves more resilient. And we're really thinking specifically around water that California is facing and thinking that if we're able to conserve and use a lot less water or manage our water more effectively, just having that secure water source for our company in the future is going to have great financial benefits to us. But we're also thinking about like our electricity costs and the savings associated with putting in renewable energy and hedging our costs there. And we've been really happy with what we've been able to put in place. We have enough solar throughout the company to power about 30% of our winemaking operations right now. And then when this wind turbine comes online in a year, I think that's going to add about another 5% to that. That'll be really great. It's allowing us to feel a lot more secure and being able to power winemaking with renewable energy. That's impressive. So that 19 and a half million in savings and benefits, is that just to date? So you've spent 18 and a half million today from 2015 and you've already got 19 and a half million? That's right. That's just the snapshot as of this year. That's great. That shows to the world that sustainability is a high ROI thing because your ROI is going to be way bigger than one as you continue to collect benefits over time, right? Solar is a long-lived asset, not just a few years, right? as well as all the other things you're doing. Do you have, when you look at the ROI on some of these projects, a specific time horizon that you look at that it has to be paid back by or anything of that nature? I don't think we've actually identified what that would be. I remember when we were talking about solar the payback for that was about six years, which seemed very reasonable considering the long-term benefits. So that was one specific conversation we had. But yeah, in terms of like what it needs to be, I don't think we've identified that yet. It's at least less than eight years already, right? (laughs) If you start in 2015 and you're already fully paid back. Just out of curiosity, how big is your team on corporate social responsibility and sustainability? Because as one of the major players in the space, it's just interesting to know how many people are actually working on this progress. That's a great question. And we have two people working full-time on sustainability. We have got a sustainability director, Erin, who manages a lot of our projects. And then we have Alex reporting to him and she manages a lot of projects as well and does a lot of data analysis. They're wonderful. But what we've done to really embed sustainability across our operations more fully is that we've asked for volunteer time from people throughout the organization to work on specific initiatives that relate to their day jobs. For Rooted for Good, our sustainability program, we have those four key areas, but we have about nine working groups that are working on specific initiatives that ladder up to those four key pillars. 
total, it's about 80 people dedicating at least, I think about three to four hours of their time per month, usually to these working groups and their expertise and their focus. That's been really helpful in making sure that we're achieving some progress towards these goals as well. Was that intentional to try to get the expertise? Because if you're playing with winemaking and you want to do something sustainability, that's a winemaking focus. You probably want the winemakers involved, right? And so absolutely, putting more decision-making in their hands. Yeah. So I could talk about the regenerative farming working group as an example. We have about 25 people across the organization, I want to say, working on that. But it's mostly people in farming as well as winemaking who are focused on that particular area with support from our sustainability team. And it's being led by a vineyard manager and a winemaker so that we can really have that perspective of wine quality in the picture, as well as the perspective of what is realistic for our vineyard teams to actually be achieving. That one's the largest working group also because we are trying to roll out trials on regenerative farming across our organization. And so we have different regions that are being represented. So we've got people from the Central Coast joining those calls and reporting back on how things are going for them, as well as Sonoma, Napa, and Oregon. But yes, it's really important to us to really have the people who have to implement have a say in how these programs are going and really develop them themselves, actually. That makes a lot of sense. Focusing a little on waste prevention and green purchasing, which I think you guys have a unique leadership position in because a lot of other wine businesses and wineries, I don't think have done a lot or thought as much about it yet. How do you see this fitting into the overall discussion on sustainability? I'd say that they're both very important to the overall program. For green purchasing, we've come up with a preferred purchasing plan to try to purchase from green, environmentally friendly businesses as much as possible. That has really come out of our belief that we have to collaborate to really achieve our goals. And so being able to support other businesses that are like-minded and are doing similar things helps us kind of multiply the effects of what we're trying to achieve. And for the question of like waste prevention, waste can have a big impact on greenhouse gas emissions. So trying to reduce our waste across our organization really helps us drive down our emissions numbers. Also, we've been able to take some of our waste from our wineries, such as the pumice, and make it into more beneficial products. So for instance, we're composting a lot of that and utilizing that compost out in the vineyard. We also have kind of a sister company. It's a company that my mom founded called Holvine that is taking a lot of that sustainably certified waste from the wineries and turning it into Chardonnay Mark. So they're taking the grape seeds and turning it into a nutrient-dense product that is then being utilized in creating chocolate bars. So that's one area where we're taking something that would otherwise not have a very high use and turning it into something that actually has health benefits for people. And so that's been an interesting way to be innovative around waste that I think is kind of a fun thing that we've done as well. Who doesn't like chocolate? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. I think we still need to set up like the chocolate and wine tastings. I think that will be fun when we start doing that. But there can be added benefits to changing your waste streams and utilizing your waste for other things. We've been excited to explore. What would you highlight as the key elements of your zero waste initiatives 
For zero waste, we've really focused on our wineries there. We've also been thinking about tasting rooms and offices, but we actually haven't got into the zero waste diversion rate of 98% everywhere in those facilities. But for wineries, what we've done is we've worked with a third party to make sure that everything that can be recycled is getting recycled. Everything that we can use as compost can be taken out and utilized in that way. And then we have achieved that 2% to landfill maximum that allows you to be zero waste certified. That being said, we actually never have gotten certified as zero waste just because I think the the cost associated with doing that has been high enough that we've felt like we could better use those dollars making greater sustainability strides in other places. So that's not something that we've actually had the certification completed for. And we don't talk about it with our consumers for that reason. We don't have that extra stamp of approval that shows that we're doing what we're saying we're doing. Just because I think dollars are tight and we really want to focus on the areas where we're going to make the biggest impact. But that is one area that we've talked about, getting the certification and possibly having that be part of our marketing or communication message in the future. I think that when we don't have so many other things on our plate that are taking up dollars and resources, we'll probably explore again. So between the vineyards, the winery, the tasting rooms, and then the like offices, it sounds like where the production is happening in the vineyards and the winery, it's a lot easier, much more focused because that's the majority of the effort is at at the moment. Yes. Are there plans to make it into the tasting rooms and any kind of like administrative offices as well? Yes. That's something that I think will probably be a couple of years in the making. It's difficult because we have a lot of tasting rooms. We have a lot of offices. So we need to kind of figure out how to best approach the same sort of process for everybody and figure out how to make that happen. But I feel like because it's such a small percentage of our overall waste, it hasn't been the priority, especially when we have so many other areas where we're really needing to make significant strides such as our climate goals and some of the initiatives there are going to take a lot of capital investment and attention to continue to make progress. We really haven't prioritized that just because of the other things that we're working on. What are the key initiatives that underpin your zero waste initiative in the vineyards and the winery? Like we talked about, you know, Mark or the pumice into nutrient dense things that go into chocolate. What are the main elements of waste reduction in the vineyard and winery? I think you hit on one of the big ones, which is the organic waste from the winemaking stream. So grape pumice is a big one. That's where we're taking that mostly for compost, but also looking at turning it into Chardonnay Mark at some of our facilities. We also have a lot of things that we recycle at the facilities. And so that's a big area as well. But I think the organics is one of the largest for us. Got it. Has there been any pushback from the production team around like doing these processes or is it all they're pretty much on board? I don't think we actually ever had pushback around it. We worked with a third party to set up the system for calling these out and they helped us kind of make sure that everything was going to the correct location. So in terms of the time and investment needed for the production facility, it wasn't that big for them. And this was kind of an easy thing for us to explore with them. Waste reduction often includes a lot of 
green purchasing, and can sometimes include other elements like water reduction, energy efficiency. How did these play into Jackson Family Wine sustainability initiatives? I know we talked a little bit about solar and the bottles already, but I'm curious, maybe we could dive a little bit more into aspects of green purchasing that Jackson Family Wines is doing. So for the preferred purchasing, we've definitely started to think about for our procurement teams and our office managers, thinking about materials that are more environmentally friendly has been key to kind of thinking through making sure that we're having less waste going to landfills as well. So we are looking at how we can continue to purchase things that are more recyclable or biodegradable. One example of something that we're doing with one of our sales team, well, it's a very specific team on the sales team that is looking at really getting the message out about sustainability as one of their key areas of focus. One of the things that they're planning on doing this year is to put out some materials that are biodegradable. So we're going to have POS neckers that consumers can then take and replant because it'll be the kind of paper that has seeds in it that you can actually plant in your garden. That's one area that people have kind of thought about something a little bit greener and a little bit more in line with our Rooted for Good plan to get out into the market with and also to have that be something that can be a talking point for consumers as well. So they're thinking about waste and that piece. So you have this packaging that has seeds based in it, which is an active purchasing decision that you've made. Mm -hmm. And you're finding that consumers are really receptive to this and actually using it for other purposes besides just packaging? We actually haven't gone out into market with it yet, but we're hoping that it will be of interest to consumers and it will spark some conversation and dialogue around this. That's just one area that I think as our team is thinking about the fact that we're trying to be a little bit more mindful with the materials that we're putting out into the world, they came up with like a really innovative and interesting way of changing how we're putting material out into our grocery stores so that it can be more environmentally friendly. And in general, you know, our procurement team really focused on thinking it through kind of greener purchasing decisions, which if you're purchasing materials that are better, it's easier to kind of get them to a better place at the end point. Sounds like those will benefit you in the long run. And I am curious on, in addition to green purchasing, because sometimes you're purchasing products and then understanding like as you use them, how much water goes in there. I know there's a lot of focus from wineries about how much water is actually used, whether it's cleaning something or even in the vineyard, understanding like how to reduce that water amount that's actually being used there. And I'm curious how important is that into your zero waste initiatives? So I don't know that we've thought about like water as part of zero waste. We are very focused on water conservation and reducing our water usage at the wineries. And I believe it's been about since 2008, that was the year that we baselined our water usage. And the stat that we've been able to track has been that we've been able to reduce our water intensity per bottle that we produce by 43% since that date. And so some of the areas where we've really focused on water conservation have been We started with behavioral changes. So in our wineries, we had people cleaning and sanitizing tanks and barrels and not really as focused on how much water they were using to do that. But we talked about the importance of water conservation in our wineries, and we actually even created an incentive program. We had a competition across wineries to see who could conserve the most water every year. And we were giving out a Water Wise Winery Award at the end of the year to the winery that conserved the most water. 
And that actually got a lot of traction. People were extremely innovative and really into it. And so they came up with all sorts of different ways of doing things in the winery that achieved significant savings. And then we had people in our sustainability team working with the wineries to think about where are the biggest water users where we're actually wasting water that people as they're operating the wineries aren't really thinking about as much. And we figured out a way to recycle the water in our cooling towers. And that was one of the biggest areas where we were able to achieve some big savings. Then we also had some wineries pilot some rainwater capture technology so that we could actually take water off of the roof during rainy winter months and store it in the tanks that weren't being utilized for winemaking at that time of year. And then tracking how much less water we were taking from our groundwater table because of this. And at our Carneros winery, which was the first winery to implement this, we actually had about 60% of our water usage throughout the year from just that water, from our water capture system. And that water was being used for things like cleaning the floors and things where you're not going to be able to kind of retake that and reuse it because it's pretty dirty at that point. But because we were able to kind of have this water capture system in place, we were able to reduce the amount of water we take as a facility significantly every year. That was really exciting to be able to pivot to that. And then we were able to roll that up to other wineries. Just this last couple of weeks when we've had these atmospheric rivers here in California, our La Crema facility, for instance, now has this rainwater capture system in place and they've been able to capture a lot of water for the rest of the year. And it probably will take us through at least the first half, if not more. So that's exciting. They should be fully topped up now. Yeah, I would hope so after that. This WaterWise Award is really interesting as a way to get some competition between the different wineries that you have. When was that started again? So we created our sustainability goals that we shared with everybody in 2015. That award was, I believe, created the following year because people got really excited about the potential of incentivizing behavior changes. Which winery won the first year? So the first year, it was a battle between Carneros and Monterey. And I believe it was Carneros that won that first year, but it kind of went back and forth for a couple of years. Then we had some other wineries come in and achieve it as well. It's great to hear. Say the Carneros winery won the first year. How do you then facilitate those learnings and spread them to the other wineries? Because that seems like given the scale that you have, that's super valuable. And it sounded like you're doing it, but I'm just curious, what's the method? I'm assuming there's like a presentation award or something like that. And then are you kind of sharing the tech that they've used? We started out with our sustainability team really kind of spreading that message and just through their communications with different facilities, they were able to share best practices and innovations that different wineries were utilizing. But since then, we have this meeting that we have once a year called the Wine Growing Summit, which is a really great place to share progress on things like our sustainability goals. That was an area where people could kind of share specifics on what they were doing with their water conservation. This year, I think they're going to be utilizing that forum. It's basically a set of meetings over a course of a couple of days. A lot of people throughout production and the vineyard teams come together to talk about specific topics that are priorities for the organization. And I believe they're talking a lot about regenerative farming this year. So that's been a really great forum for people to kind of share what they've learned and what has been working. So you have this forum, and as one of the largest wine companies in the world, do you think it's easier or harder for you to implement sustainability initiatives versus smaller wineries? I would say it's easier as a larger business. And that's been what we've heard from 
other people in the industry too. I think for one thing, a lot of our initiatives really rely upon partners. So in order to be able to go out and have conversations with, for instance, our distribution partners is one partner who comes to mind right off the top of my mind because we're talking to them right now about reducing carbon emissions. In order to have those conversations, it really helps to be a larger player and someone who supplies a lot of wine out into the market. I think it also is helpful to have such a talented group of employees with a lot of different experience that we can ask to weigh in. And also just being able to have the resources to put forward to pilot things, I think is a benefit as well. What key things do you think need to happen in order to get the rest of the industry motivated to really pursue and chase more sustainability initiatives at all sizes? I think the industry is very motivated. You mentioned that we have this collaboration with other wineries through the International Wineries for Climate Action. That's just one area where we engage with other wineries on sustainability topics. And I would say that in general, I know that the industry has been very committed to these sustainability certification programs and is very concerned and motivated about climate and are trying to come together to work on solutions. In terms of what would motivate people to do more, I think what it comes down to is we are an industry with a lot of small family-owned wineries or vineyards. And I would love to see maybe more incentives out there, financial incentives that could help people really take advantage of government support to implement some of these things. I think the other thing that would be a really great driver and motivator is if we could find a way to have our consumers understand better what sustainability looks like for the industry and support that with their dollars. Being able to communicate what we're doing on sustainability to our consumers and have them be really interested and motivated will continue to drive change. And I think they are really interested. We're seeing that with our certification programs. We have just in the past couple of years put the Certified Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance logo on a lot of our certified wines. For instance, I think most of Kendall Jackson wines have that on it. And we're seeing a lot of interest and support from consumers and their customers there. So I'm hopeful that that will continue to be a trend and that that will be beneficial as well for kind of continuing to encourage the sort of sustainable progress within the industry. That's a good segue into my next question, which is, Having a foot in both mass market wine brands and luxury wine brands, like hundreds of dollars of bottle wines like Cardinal and Lacoya, how do you see the challenges between those two categories? Are they around sustainability? Is it different or largely the same? I think as a company, we try not to think of things as challenges. We try to think of them more as opportunities. I think that for us, some of our more luxury brands, I think, have the ability to take risks that maybe more mass market brands might not. And one of the key areas where, for instance, Sequoia and Cardinal are going is that we're actually pursuing organic farming across the board in Napa now to support those brands. And I think when you have those higher price points, you can take on the increased costs associated with that kind of more intensive farming. So that might be an area where luxury brands actually have an edge. I think that there are benefits to both. I think having large volume really drives efficiency. And so we've been able to see with our organization, with La Crema and Kendall Jackson, our largest brands, 
we have facilities that have been able to drive conservation techniques and innovate in ways that have been beneficial to reducing our water and our energy footprint pretty significantly from early on. And so, I don't know, I feel like both types of brands can make a big impact. Katie, we like to wrap up each episode on a personal note. We'd love to know what was the most memorable bottle of wine you've had over the last year and who did you drink it with? I love that question. We actually went to Collective Napa Valley, which is a charitable event in Napa this past November. My husband and I and my cousin Haley and her husband, they had some incredible old bottles of Napa wines. They had a 1969 Freemark Abbey that we purchased for our table. It was tasting amazing for from 69. It was just incredible how well it was holding up. It was just really fun to kind of taste something that had that history to it. So I think that's the wine I would pick. And it was fun to have it with that group of people too, because they're good friends and it was a great event. Company matters. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing how those wines from the 60s with like barely 12 and a half percent alcohol can still be holding up so well, right? It's really impressive. <laughs> Yes. Just like the people from that era too are still holding up well and drinking wine, right? <laughs> yes. We want to thank you for sharing everything that Jackson Family Wines is doing in this area, especially on zero waste. It's an area that we definitely wanted to cover in this series. So we appreciate your time and information. Thank you. Very nice to talk with you both. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.